In this episode, I meet animal artist extraordinaire Susan Mills, as well as her dogs, Bonnie, Peanut and Baby. We talk about science and art and everything in between. And she tells me about her book of animal portraits called The Human Rescuers, as well as giving me a tour of her house to see some of the paintings. So we've got Peanut, Baby and Bonnie. Peanut, Baby and Bonnie. And they're keeping us company, so we might hear, have a few barks throughout the interview as well. But sure, we just ignore it. It's fine. So, Susan Mills, so nice to meet you and welcome to the podcast. You too, and, Samantha. Uh, Thank you. I'm looking forward to this chat. So let's talk about the book in a little bit. Let's talk about first, how did you go from doing a science job to painting? Um, yeah. I suppose it all starts off probably in secondary school. Like I was always going to do art. Um, actually, the first I remember my brother was brilliant at drawing, and the first day, so he left the when I started first year, he was just gone, and the art teacher came up to me and she said, she said two things. She said, "It is a shame your brother didn't go to art college." He'd no interest in school, you know, and she said, are you any good at art? So from that moment on, she was kind of grooming me, I suppose, to go to art college. No, she wanted to get a Mills into art college. Um, but, you know, back then, like that would have been the, the ni- early 90s. Like art teachers were moved around an awful lot. Art wouldn't have been given a lot of attention in schools. So she, after torture, she left. And I mean, I remember one of the summers we were invited back in by the managers of the school. She did the Last Supper on one wall and I did the Madonna of the chair, uh, you know, life size on the other wall for the summer. You know, it was brilliant. But she ended up leaving. And my science teacher, she was just an, an incredible teacher. Okay. And I loved science as well. I, I just thought I felt empowered by science, especially as a teenager, you know, knowing yeah. stuff that adults didn't know so I I decided I'd go on and do science I I suppose I was a bit worried too about uh, jobs in art I wasn't sure if there would be any you know would I have a secure job in that Um, so it went on and I did a microbiology degree and I did a PhD in it and I worked in research for a good few years but I started feeling very um, empty by the rat race I'd say you know I remember I'd say to people is this it you know, you put so much into your education and you think that you're going to become an adult and life's going to be amazing. And then you get your job and you're like, you know, you're on the treadmill, basically. And research is very uh, competitive field. Okay. Um, everybody has different projects, but the currency of research are publications. So that's what you're aiming for the whole time. And so the more work you put in, the more publications you have. You know, but at the end of the day, that comes at a cost. So I think I worked myself to the point of burnout. But I, I knew I had killed off my creative side, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, like I used to love music and I got to a point where I couldn't even music would take me places, you know, listening to it. And that all stopped. I'd lost the ability to daydream. Okay. You know, yes. so I decided I was going to write a novel and the novel was going to be a bestseller and it'd be made into a film and I'd never again have to work. <laughs> I'd never again have to do a day's work. Yeah. So I, I remember I did a, a writing course in Ardmore and I did this writing course in 2011. And um, go there, honey. Now peanuts up in my lap. And 
I it was just a week. Um, I was actually writing a novel and I wanted some guidance on it. And but it was all about creative writing and opening up that side of you. And I remember driving away at the end of the course and listening to music and being able to daydream again. So that was twenty eleven. In twenty twelve, I decided. I am leaving my job and like my husband's a carpenter we were in the recession we didn't know whether we'd lose our home or not you know he'd built it himself but we both said bricks and mortar are not worth it you know to be to be killing yourself that much so what we decided was I would he would go full-time in taekwondo and I would help him build up his schools around Kerry because his work had dried up and we took a huge risk but it actually worked out and in the meantime I was upstairs every day writing my novel so t- two years anyway uh, it was a lovely life and my dog lady my first dog she was with me through the whole lot of it and I really feel she felt my frustration you know but I didn't feel like a natural writer I would wake up in the morning and uh, I wouldn't go upstairs like jumping with Lee the way I do now to go to a painting I yeah like I, I I'm not a writer I would not a creative writer but I did it and I sent it off to two places and actually they both came back and said but they'd be willing to look at it again if I did made these changes but it just it just wasn't for me I had exhausted myself and but the funny thing was I had taken every course I could possibly take on writing and it was like I had because I approached writing like I'd never known how to write. I just, when my dog died and I decided to paint her lady, I approached the painting like that. And I also started practicing Mm. mindfulness. And I think that that really changed. So what, what happened then was my dog lady, who we got lady when we got married, um, she just, she needed a new home. Her owners just, they wanted her to go to a place a place where she'd be absolutely loved. She was a Tibetan terrier. She had her papers. They didn't want money. They just yeah. wanted to make sure she'd be properly taken care of. So she was six when we got her. So with these dogs, I feel like I'm their parent. With her, she was a friend who moved in. And to me, Brenda, who the girl we got from, was always going to be her mom. But she moved in with us. And uh, Lady died in 2016. And at this stage now, I'd finished my novel and all. And I was still helping my husband and um, I just felt the grief I felt was unbelievable absolutely unreal Um, and you know it's not something you can say to a lot of people I think things have changed now you can even more maybe it's because I've done the book and people recognize that I have a a love for animals you know they they wouldn't scoff at it as much that week I actually got pneumonia and I definitely think it was a psychosomatic consequence of grieving for Lady. But in the weeks after her death, I decided to paint her. I just wanted to, I wanted to honour her life and I just wanted to feel close to her. And I hadn't painted in a long time. Um, and I should probably say that I had, since 2015, gone back writing science two days a week as well. You know, I just, I, so I finished off my novel, I put it in a in a press and um, probably won't be pulled out till I'm 80 you know <laughs> I'm bored stiff but um I did go back writing science two days a week so I anyway I painted lady on one of my days off and I just couldn't believe it when she appeared on the canvas and I suppose I applied something to the painting that I'd learned from writing and that was patience patience because often when I used to paint before I'd want the result immediately whereas I was spending weeks or days at a painting and when she appeared on that canvas it was just a really magical moment for me 
It really was because I couldn't believe I'd captured her, that it actually looked like her. And my mother used to always say about my art when I was younger, you know, it's nice, Susan, if you stand back from it. And it used to drive me mad, you know. So I wanted to be able to paint so realistically that you could stand right up close to it, put your nose against it if you wanted. So that's the way Lady turned out on the canvas. And I decided... From Firstly, I think when I started painting, I went into a state of flow, which is, you know, an amazing place to be. Uh, I decided there and then, this is what I want to do with my life. I know I'm not a writer, you know, not a creative writer. Um, so I, I started off by literally doing portraits for charities. I contacted a few charities and said, look, if you're ever having a raffle, these, this is my work. If you'd like to, you know, I'd be more than happy so to do it. Charities. Animal charities, yeah. yeah. So a few, uh, so they took me up on it. So it kind of spread them by word of mouth. But um, so I, I've literally been painting animals ever since. So I write science still two days a week, Mondays and Tuesdays. And then the rest of the week I devoted to painting animals. And I, I'd literally spend every minute of, of my time doing it. Like I have to remind myself to, you know, still interact with human beings, you know, <laughs> you're going to need them someday. So that's important. But yeah, I do. I, I, I feel very lucky. There's a complete yeah. difference between how you would kind of put yourself to work writing whereas you're you're running to paint and you you're all do you think about it when you're not painting do yeah is it I do. something you have to think about that you're like with writing you might be thinking about the story and working on it mentally um is painting like that are you kind of mulling it over in your head yes because you I would have run into technical challenges you know um like particularly now if you were doing a white dog which I'm doing at the moment you know how do you capture all the contours and our black dog the other thing is i to me the backgrounds are very important and it's probably where i get to have most uh, creative free license so the backgrounds i think a lot about them and i picture them in my head what background will suit the animal best will make the animal pop on the canvas but um and even sometimes you go for humor like we're sitting in the yeah. kitchen here and there's a beautiful painting of Peanut and then there's a, a waitress or a waiter <laughs> beside him so Peanut's at the table and then Susan's the waiter behind so it's nice to you like you say you can mess around with the, the yeah the work. composition yes, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah okay so let's move on to talk about the book then how did the book so, come about yeah how that came about was I suppose it, the year was 2019 and a friend of mine, Pam Morrison, she had finished a book herself. She was based over in London. And, you know, she said to me, she was following my art and she said, would you ever think about doing a book about your art? Like the first thing came into my head was a book teaching people how to paint. But, you know, I wouldn't do that because um, I, it for me, it's still a very intuitive process. I right. wouldn't really know even how to teach it. But I'd say within a few minutes, this idea came to me because I'd, what I would think about, sometimes what I'd panic about is if I don't have a painting lined up, you know, well, it's like, a, it's like reading a great book okay. and you're coming when you're doing a painting and you're coming to the end of it, you don't want it to end. And you're like, I need another book as good as that one. Um, so the idea came almost immediately, the human rescuers, where I would ask people to send in stories about how their pet has rescued them. Okay. And in return for the story, they'd get a portrait and the portrait would appear in the book with the story and but they wouldn't get to see the portrait until the book was launched and then they at, at the book launch they would take their portrait home so it was a little barter system and 
Because I'm a scientist as well, um, and I write science now, I decided I do research. So after every story, there's a little bit of science about animal psychology or biology or human animal interactions. And it's just so that, you know, people who might think those animal lovers are a little bit daft, that they'd realize, you know what, there is truth in this. And, you know, and that's what the science is proving now. So that that's how it came about. So it started, I started collecting stories in May 2019. I finished up collecting them in August and started the portraits then. Um, And it was launched in October 2021. And did people send you, when you collected you, so you got the story and did you get a photograph? Yeah, that was the thing. So So I was lucky enough, I got into a few local newspapers and got on a few radio stations and I put flyers in as many veterinary practices as I could. And people, yeah, that was the thing. They'd send in a photo of the pet as well and their story um, the now I do need a certain level of detail in the photos so that was important yeah. that was an, a, a, an important factor as well mm. but uh, there's 43 stories in total and Good. there's a, a complete mix and there's cats and dogs and horses and there's even a parrot Chico uh, because again we do I wanted as much variety as I could um, Chico Chico is owned by a very elderly lady in Tralee so Chico wrote his own story some animals actually oh, sent yeah. in their own story but they're very funny you know look I do you know what it oh, was yeah. it was completely open that's what I, I wanted it to be loose and relaxed and no rules really other than I said five pages max that was it that's wonderful I'm just glancing at it there and already I'm laughing. Yeah, yeah, but um, but yeah, but there's there's loads. I mean, there's stories. What I love about the book as well is that there's stories of people who got animals, uh, rescue animals, and they were problematic at the start and they were tearing their hair out, but they got there in the end because it's not easy. Like a lot of people think you get an animal and it's like having a teddy bear and they, you know, let them sit in the corner and look nice until I'm ready to interact and deal with them. But they're not there. They need attention and they need you know, so that so I'm very happy about that with the book as well. It wasn't all plain sailing for people. Yeah. It's realistic, and uh, you know people had to put in a lot of effort in some cases, especially if dogs came from a, a dubious background and you don't know what was done to them or how they were treated. There are 45 stories and matching portraits in the book, and each one I read immediately became my favourite. There's Cooper the Greyhound, and in this I learned that greyhounds don't mind small living areas. Amy writes, Many people presume greyhounds need lots of exercise. However, they are consistently popping up on lists such as laziest dog breeds. Known as the 45 km an hour couch potato, they tend to sleep for the majority of the day, sometimes getting up to 20 hours of sleep. Cooper is honestly the largest dog I've ever seen in my life, something most people we meet agree with. He must be half Great Dane, they say. Are you sure he isn't some sort of Irish wolfhound? It's also his muscle definition that tends to attract attention. If I had a euro for every time some unknown lady has come up, grabbed his bottom and said, wow, I'd kill for a bum like that, I would be a very rich woman. We have nicknamed this part of his anatomy, the peach. Then there's Sandy, and Oliver Flynn writes about his life with her. I was nearly seven when we rehomed Sandy. Sandy was happy to move in with us. We got her hair cut and she had a blow dry. 
She looked and smelled amazing. I write comics and sometimes read them to her. She must like them because she doesn't mind if I mispronounce some words and jumps up to lick me. We live on a mountain near some woods, so the dogs have lots of walks and adventures. Sandy could be a dog rescuing dog. One time when there was thunder and lightning, Bella ran away as she was scared. We told Sandy to find her and Sandy ran off into the woods. A few minutes later, she came back with Bella following her. Another thing Sandy likes is the game Fortnite. She cuddles up to me when I am playing it. All my friends at school tell me to stop talking about my dog. They all talk about their pets though, so why not? When I come home from school, Sandy is looking out the window and waiting for me. The story of Sassy Sue, the Border Collie, is beautifully written, but I can't read it out because it makes me well up every time. Then there's Pippi and Charlie and Alfie and Brandy and Akira, the biker dog, and Monty the cat, and Paolo, who is named after Paolo Nutini, my mum will like that, and each one is accompanied by a gorgeous portrait of animals who look happy, healthy, and well-loved. So we're just going to take a little walk around now because there's paintings in the hall that I wanted to see. Oh yes, I saw these butterflies on your um, oh, website. Yeah. I thought it was a fantastic idea. Yeah, my, my a cousin of ours was married to a man called the Butterfly Man, Ron Blend, and he used to travel the world collecting exotic butterfly species, and he used to paint them up. So okay. we uh, in my home place, there's two of them up. Uh, they're probably antiques now, but it did see it does seem wrong to do that. So I just wanted to paint them, but I, I wanted it to almost look like they were. But no butterflies were harmed in the no, making no, of these yeah, paintings. Exactly. That's Bonnie there now. That's a lovely one. And you know what? You can stand as close as you want to it. And yeah. every little detail of the fur. That one as well, I want to pet it because I feel like the fur would be just so silky. And there's what you were talking about, like gold as well. Yeah, yeah, they, they have little gold flecks. And even the blue-eyed dogs, like Kailash, you know, I would have used a little bit of silver. I suppose the metallic paint gives it a shine as well, the shine of the eye. So like you're studying Bonnie in great detail. Is yeah. it, do you feel affection then when you're painting that oh God, and painting yeah. the detail and yeah. feeling the... Uh, yeah, because, you know, before, like I used to, as I said, I was going to go to art college, but I used to paint like, you know, if I, the odd time I'd paint a, a landscape, but it wouldn't mean anything. I wouldn't get a high from it. You know, I wouldn't get absorbed in it, uh, whereas I do with animals. And you're not, you're not. What, what was your phrase about? Do you paint people? I paint them with a, yeah, with an animal. Look, that's my husband. So you, just, you'll paint people if there's an animal in the picture. <laughs> I, I did that one because I wanted to see, you know, can I actually paint humans? So, I have done a few of them since now. There's just, there's a beautiful story with each one, even if you don't tell me anything. Yeah. You know, you can just sit and yeah. feel the story or feel whatever is going on in that moment. Because she was very nervous of men, Bonnie, and she was nervous of Barry in the beginning, so she totally trusts him now. Yeah. Like she adores him. And that's what that painting says to you. Like, yeah. it gives me a great feeling of peace just looking at it. 
this one, um, you know, when Bohemian Rhapsody came out. This is called Silhouette of a Jaguar. So uh, I was, I couldn't stop watching that film. I watched it several times. I was just, I see, I love about creative people. I love their stories. I read memoirs about creative people. But um, he loved. Oh, oh. Do you want to... I put that out. I just. Okay. Come on out. Creative people. His partner was Irish. He was from Carlow. And uh, Freddie loved uh, loved cats. He like his cats had their own bedrooms in his mansion and all. He's a man but, after uh, my own heart. But it, and Jim Hutton is. I actually read his biography. He was just the loveliest human being you could meet. And you know when when him and Freddie would go to parties. Jim would be out in the garden with the animals, you know, he'd, he'd no interest in that life. He he was just a lovely person. So anyway, I just, I this is just my way of, again, uh, honouring Freddie Mercury. So it's Jaguar and that's meant to be the shadow. Um, and that that's what I find. If, if I really want to express my love for something, I can do it with a painting. For me, you know, it does it for me. I love the colour of his, his fur there. It's... Uh... There's so much detail in them. Yeah, and I think that comes from being a scientist. Because I, yeah. I find it hard to not do detail. I actually bought a set of watercolours last week, just in the evenings to dabble with them, because you can't get that level of detail in watercolour. Right. So yeah. just to do something is completely different. Oh, yeah. Then this this is what another one with my husband. He's He has a motorbike, so if we go on holidays anywhere, it has to be on a motorbike. <laughs> so we, one, in 2018, we went around Europe on the motorbike, and... Uh, anytime I'd see someone, maybe a street entertainer or someone on the street, you know, I suppose maybe their circumstances yeah. weren't the best, God love them, and they'd have an animal, I just think, I hope they're looking after the animal. That's what would come to me, which is, you know. So I remember I went up to this man and uh, I just got across. This was in La Rochelle in France, that, you know, could I take a photo of you too? and I'll paint it and I'll give you money. And uh, he was delighted and he started interacting with the dog and sure like she I could see that she loved yeah I was actually delighted then because it was a very hot day and I thought god I I was just looking going that dog has too much fur in it now for today's weather and you know but no that dog loved him then that that one there that that bird up there that uh you can pop it yeah thank you um that bird as well was over at Coolwood. He was really, I called the painting the cocky bird because yeah he is he was walking along that fence and I swear to god he was posing for me um yeah, that's a really meditative painting now to do because once you've figured out how to get the feather and you've the colours made, it's just re- repetition. And that's what I love because you spend hours doing that. But there's real depth in it as well. Yeah, It's it's tricky enough to make a rooster kind of look attractive, but he is. <laughs> <laughs> he believed he was. And that's how I was able to do it. It's, it's little tail, the way the tail is cocked up. Yeah. Oh, oh, he loved beautiful. himself. He was yeah. very proud of himself that day. That's yeah, it. that's one of it in the early days. That dog was uh, found dumped again on the road, and oh. she was heavily pregnant. And animal helpmate Kerry took her in, and she gave birth to puppies. So they they were all rehomed. But I remember the day I went up, and um, she was looking out. She was in a house of her own, and I took the photo, and I just felt she was looking to the future with hope. So I called that painting yes. hope. It's amazing. Well, like animal charities do just fantastic oh God, work. They, they, they really are yeah. tireless. Yeah. Like I, I'm the treasurer now for Animal Help Net, but like I couldn't do this work. I couldn't go out. As I, I say it in the book, I'm a coward. Like I couldn't do it. 
um, it's nice to stain and paint them and you know that's the nice I mean what they do is just phenomenal and they put their themselves at risk because they often end up in tricky situations it's funny when people say oh people who are into animals are so sentimental and like they can be the toughest people in the world do having to do they that job to. yeah, yeah they yeah. Have to be. So I'll show you the first painting I did. You oh, see how my yes. style has completely evolved. You know, I mean, I was so happy when I did Lady, but I mean, now it's a very basic painting to what I do. Uh, that's Baby, actually, over there. I keep walking off and I forget that I'm supposed to be interviewing That's, that's Lady. Yes. And like, if you look, that's such a basic painting now. And to you, that was the... To me at the time, I was amazed by that. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um... You know, and it and it gave me the confidence to to say I'm going to paint animals. You know, but like my style is completely different now. But I do. I I even um, when I did that, I hadn't a clue about boards or anything. And this was for oil paint, and I used acrylic. And then when I varnished it, sure, I dragged paint off the heart over it. And I, anyway, it's an absolute learning experience. But Barry framed it, and uh, look, I love it up there. I just love seeing her. Yeah, you know, she was black and she was all black hair. The Tibetan terriers have the long hair, you see, and uh, it'd be hard to capture her eyes anyway. But it's a very peaceful painting. It makes me want to lie down on the floor yeah. and <laughs> just yeah. relax. She used to sigh an awful lot. In the beginning, I thought she was annoyed. It was a sigh of annoyance, but I realised that it was actually happiness. It's pure contentment, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. When when you were saying about Lady bringing you in different directions and I was like and now Lady is bringing me because of course it was um, Lady's previous owner Brenda who is a friend of mine and just I better give a shout out to Brenda so better mention Tom as well or there'll be trouble mostly Brenda though (laughs) Um, so she told me about you and this is where I ended up here so I said now Lady has brought somebody else into your life or given you another opportunity or sent you another way Oh, that's one of Peanut with her cap on her. Does she, does she, do they enjoy wearing little scarves or they don't mind? Uh, Bonnie actually likes clothes, believe it or not. In the winter, if she's cold, I'd put something on her. But Peanut's not a fan, really. If you put something, a jacket on Peanut now, she'll start walking sideways. She's disorientated, so. But sometimes Bonnie, do you know, it's just, I know some people give out. I remember one woman gave out to me on Facebook about, uh, Peanut used to have a blog and uh, she's a bit of attitude so kind of my husband would say I don't think that should go up Susan so anyway she wrote a blog one day should dogs wear clothes um, and one lady got very angry and about it but it's humans who breed dogs that don't have enough hair they have, they have jackets yeah. and things don't they yeah, yeah. So this, is, this is where I write the signs right and this is where I paint I'm doing one a white dog now right commission isn't he beautiful so obviously I'm work, the body is next now here to work on it's really good when you see it with the photograph people who do who um, order commissions they don't realise that they're a huge part of the artistic process as well because they're the ones who send the photos so it's the photos they yeah. pick that, that will dictate very much dictate the painting as well you know that's why I'd always I try to ask for as many as possible and look if I can't improve on a photo I will be honest and I'm not going to take on the commission. And that's happened. I would, you know, I don't have enough detail. I can't do it. I'll only do it if I can improve on the photo that they've sent in. 
Laughing at the little dog coming out of the frame. Oh, that was Peanut, yeah. I did that when I wanted her to make an announcement about um, the book that was at a certain stage. I'm like, I get different feelings from all your work. Like oh, something good. is making me feel sentimental or makes me feel not sad, but a bit somber. And the yeah. other thing just making me laugh. They all make me want to touch the animals. <laughs> this... I can't get over it that you have the same, it's in the same room. So you're facing this way and it's it's all, it's an art studio basically. Yeah. And then you turn around here and it's an office. Yeah. Like if you took a photo either way, you would not say that's the same room. Yeah, it's I know. Magic. That, that's interesting because I would have thought, oh, you'd have to have them in completely separate no, spaces. No, it's funny, you no, can, because yeah. I suppose for me, the two are very interlinked because this, the art is very detailed. And you know, good scientists, I'm not saying I'm a good scientist by any means, but a good scientist should be creative. Science and art are very, very similar. They're both searching for a truth, you know. So they, they, the topics are, when you come down to the core of what the topics are about, and they both want to create something new. So whereas art is subjective, science is objective. So I think that the two subjects are so similar. And you'll see that in research, the scientists that do very well tend to be the very creative ones as well, who can okay. really think outside the box. Well, science, it's all discovery, isn't it? It is so, discovery, yeah. and it's, yeah, so yeah. it is, it's, yeah, and it's, as I said, creating something new, or discovering, thinking, trying to like, learn something what? new, not create something yeah. new, but learn something new. And then the hair came about because my husband planted a copper beach outside, a load of it around, and, um, I was just watching this hair, eating it as fast as he was planting it, and he, he was going mad. But there was nothing he could do. And then one day, the hair got so brazed that he was outside in his shed, and uh, he had the door open, and he said the hair actually passed him with a piece of copper beach in his mouth. Yeah, What's up? <laughs> thumbs up, thanks for that, dude. So this painting is called The Copper Beach Thief. Yeah. And I've just started uh, putting them onto cushions and stuff now. I'll show you two that I have. So I'm just trying out different designs, you know. It's really good, isn't it? It gets the detail. Yeah, they're an Irish yeah. company called Pixelilly and they, they're based in Donegal and they um, use all natural inks and it's very environmentally friendly. Oh, that's brilliant. Really, because you would think actually if you put it on something, I was saying you'd never get be able to get the real detail of the, yeah. the fur and that they have it. And I'm putting them on tote bags as well, so... I didn't. I didn't anticipate this problem when talking to an artist that I would just go off into a thing and be like, "What? What?" <laughs> kind of um, okay, trying to stay on track. I wanted to ask you about um, animal books, movies, any. Do, uh, do you like yeah. photographs, any that sort of thing? Like I know you were saying when you were working before you couldn't take any enjoyment from music or anything yeah. like that so now do you oh god yeah I paint when I paint I have music on do you yeah so yeah. Spotify is like the best thing ever so um and it's it, Spotify has completely uh, opened up my music repertoire because you know when you make playlists I've playlists for the different months of the year and that right. sorry that's that's baby, baby. Hi, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you're welcome baby to baby the but um 
Uh, to go back to the books and the films, I can't watch anything where there's animal cruelty. Even if it's a film and it's fiction, I can't read about it. I, or, you know when you, there's a film and it's not about the animal, but there's an animal in it, and you know that the enemy is going to do something to the animal. I, that film's off. I cannot look at it. I don't know what it is. But I read a brilliant book um, there about two years ago. It's called A Marriage in Dog Years. And I can't think of the author's name now, even though I have it on my phone, but that was a phenomenal book. If you want to, it was about this couple who got a dog when they got married and the, as the dog was dying, like years later, their marriage was breaking down, but it was about the separation and it was about her grief over the dog dying. I spent nights bawling my eyes out below in bed but it was kind of cathartic okay because the thing was the dog was utterly loved but the way she described her grief was just it i did highly recommend it it's a phenomenal book but but other than that i like i also read um professor gregory burns book now he's i have a bit of science in the book from him he's a professor in mri university in atlanta and he wrote a book called how dogs love because they have an mri scanner there and he started training his own dog into the functional mri scanner so he could look at her brain under various uh different you know giving her food, giving her praise. And what he found was that the region of the brain responsible for emotion in humans, which is the caudate nucleus, it's the exact same in dogs. So he concluded that our responsibility to a dog should be similar to that of a parent or a guardian to a child. So he wrote a book called How Dogs Love based on his findings in the... But, it, you know, it's not written for scientists. It's very... Um, it's for, you know, anyone could read it and will understand it. So that was another excellent book as well. So I like stuff like that, but... I actually would get a migraine if I was reading a book with animal cruelty. I, I, from the, yeah. you know, the, I can feel this tension mm-hmm. rising in my body, and I'll get a migraine. And yeah, Paul O'Grady for the love of dogs. I can watch that because that's very uh, well done. You know, they don't stage anything too cruel, or you know, I just can't cope with animal cruelty because they're so vulnerable. We had a slight pause here while Baby rearranged herself. Is everybody sitting comfortably? Then we'll continue. So when you say you write science when you're working, mm-hmm. what, what is that? You're writing up studies? Or? Yeah, so I work for a research centre based in UCC. It's called APC Microbiome Ireland. So it's all about your gut microbiota and or the microbiome of the body in general. So like I would um, work on research papers. I would you know correct them. I write literature reviews. I help write grants. So it's just on Mondays and Tuesdays, which is great. You you kind of need it to subsidise the art, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I'm not at a stage where I would be able to make a living wage yes. from art. Yeah. I, I hope to get there someday, yeah. you know. But I called Monday and Tuesday are like the gym for my brain. Not too happy about it, yeah. but, <laughs> but it has to be done. It definitely keeps the brain sharp. And I, I think that I'm a better scientist because of the art, you know, because yeah. I think when you have the yin and yang in your life, you're definitely, um, I can look at science studies now from a, with a much more um, opened point of view. Okay. You know, and maybe see things that maybe I wouldn't have seen in the past. Definitely for me, the art is my flow. And I think everybody should have that, something in their lives that allows them to, it makes you such a happier person. I I call it my psychic energy. Because when I go, when I paint, I actually get energy from it, even though I'm using energy. But I come away feeling 
um I suppose it's like meditation, what people get from that. I feel balanced. I feel energi- energized. I'm in great form. Whereas if I don't, if, if a period of time has gone and I just haven't been able to paint, I can feel myself. I'm not in a great place mentally. You know, it's amazing. I, I hope I'll always be this way that I'll, you know, I'll always get that joy out of painting. I won't have to find something else, <laughs> you know, because it took a while. <laughs> um, so, and that leads us on to uh, talking about the physical effects of painting. So, is there, because of the nature of what you're doing, and it's repetitive? Yeah. Do you have any problems? Oh or God, do you... yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like I've bad posture anyway, you know. And I'm going to a new physiotherapist now, and um, because the the girl I was going to moved away, and he even said that my spine is a little bit too long. I think from my neck to my shoulder blade, so I'm I'm kind of prone to slouching. Um, so I've been to yeah, I get awful pain in my. It's funny, I paint with my right hand, you know, I'm right-handed, but it's my left side that the problem is with. So, yeah, I, I'm going for physio now again. My neck as well. I, I stand very close to the canvas and my head is always tilted. And uh, you get so into it, you forget to take breaks. That's what I think, because certainly if you're... I talk to people who are working at the computer or in their work, and I say, you know, take breaks. And they say, I can't because I have to finish it and this kind of thing. And it's one thing if it's work, but it's even more so if you're doing something creative, like your brain is not, is completely on a different world yeah. and you're not thinking and even your neck might be sore, but you just don't even feel it. Until yeah, until, it, yeah, and you're, yeah, you're, you're there under a hot shower trying to, you know, or a hot water bottle against you. And so, yeah, I do, I do have problems, but the, the, I'm going to a guy now and he's giving me exercises which I hope will will work. Do the trick. Yeah, yeah. we'll well, do the trick. Well, that's good. Yeah. So, like, obviously, when you're outside of painting, you kind of stay fit and walk around and do try and do other things as much as you can. You um, know, I don't really don't because <laughs> I, I... That's me going, that's what you should do. Yeah, <laughs> no, I I um, paint. I write two days a week and the rest of the day I paint. You, week paint. Of, you see, I'm from County Waterford, um, so I'm married down here in Kerry. So my, my family are all down in Waterford. So... I, I suppose if I was living near my family, I'd have a lot more to occupy me. But because I like I work from home since I moved down here, you know, we don't have kids. So I'm not, you know, I wouldn't have uh, a community, say, of people around me. You know, if you're working in a place, yeah. that's how you make friends and that. I'm happy out. I'm a loner, you know. But I so I find that literally I would, apart from cleaning the house, I paint and I write science and I sleep. <laughs> yeah, it, it is you know it's a and oh yes and these guys these are the guys who remind me to take breaks because they obviously have their little needs so they come in and they um they'd let me know, let know. with a little wine or something come on now let us out or it's time and oh, i would do take them walking down the fields in the evenings as well yeah so that's something yeah but some now baby who's on my lap she's a chihuahua she's not a fan of exercise either so she'll often stop you know halfway down the boreen and it's like i'm not going any further not budging you know so you're walking at her pace and you're like begging her (laughs) yeah yeah but no they, they definitely keep me busy and keep and as i say they've rescued me as well 
Did you go looking to adopt them or did you did someone say there's dogs here need a home or how did it happen? How it happened was uh, when we had Lady we used to if we were going anywhere uh, Wendy O'Connor who runs Animal Help Net Kerry she also has a kennels in in Kerry uh, Castleview boarding kennels she minded Lady for us a few times so um, we knew she was involved in the charity so when Lady died which was say Lady died on a Tuesday or Wednesday um, I would have texted Wendy to let her know because she's an absolute avid animal lover and my, my reaction probably to Lady's death was very strange and I'm thinking might have been to do with the age I was at I was probably 35 or 36 you know where that maternal instinct was just I had to have something to mind you know and love and care for um, I remember the next day I was going through the Animal Help Net Kerry Facebook page and I just wanted to love another animal. I felt I had so much love left still for Bit Lady. I wanted to care for another animal. I remember seeing this dog on their page, which was Bonnie, in an absolutely dreadful state. She was uh, had been neglected for I'd say years she was just covered in her hair was three or four times the size of her body she you could see there was slugs in it and but her little face it was as sad as I felt and I showed it to Barry and I said look Barry they're looking for a home for this dog and he said Susan it's too soon we've just buried lady so I couldn't stop thinking of Bonnie and um, I messaged Wendy and I said look Wendy I know we've just buried lady but this dog, I just, I think she needs, you know, she needs me. And and the funny thing is, the day we buried Lady, I was, I, her grave is up the back, I'll show it to you. I said to her over her grave, you know, thanked her for being part of our lives. I said, Lady, will you send me a dog as wonderful as you? And, like, even though I'm a scientist, I do believe in all that stuff. And um, so I felt that, you know, Lady had done this. But anyway, Wendy got back and she said, Susan, you'll be honouring Lady's life to take a dog in need. So we went off to classes that day teaching Taekwondo. I don't think I could even have left the house only that I knew we were meeting Bonnie that night. So on our way home, I'd say it was 10 o'clock, we went into Wendy's place. We met Bonnie. She was filthy, disgusting, <laughs> but we were holding her and hugging her and she was scared. And But we spent about an hour and a half, myself and my husband, just with her. And we came away that night, we, our clothes were destroyed, <laughs> to throw everything in the wash. But she was going to the groomers the next day. Like the vet, could, they couldn't even see if she was microchipped because they couldn't get at her. So the, it took the groomer five hours to get the, the hair off. And it stood like the bark of a tree, the groomer said. So she put a little pink jumper on her because she had to, and it was, it was February. She'd been found in a graveyard. She was tied to a gate in a graveyard, and they'd, they'd know she was definitely left there for one night. They don't know if she was there for, yeah, more than that. So that evening, uh, I got the call. She's ready. Come up and collect her. So she, the two of us were inseparable, and I got pneumonia that week because of, of Lady, and she slept on top of me for the whole week. We just bonded immediately. I just, oh my, I love that dog. She's just, she's, she's an she's angel. So and she, like the other two, Baby and Peanut are kind of, you know, they're in your face. They're the, you know, they want to be noticed. Whereas she goes off into her little corner. She's over, that she loves that. That's her throne. And she's happy out there. But she had fierce separation anxiety when we got her. That's Baby, by the way, that's not me. <laughs> we, she had terrible separation anxiety. Um, when we got her first so if I'd go anywhere she'd 
she'd come back I'd come back and she'd have shredded the doorways you know she she just couldn't cope being left on her own now I would only to be literally be going to get the shopping or something so we decided for her confidence and everything look if we could get another dog to be great company so around that time I'd say a few weeks after we had her they came across this the charity came across the dog a bag of puppies by the river in Tralee I'd say they were obviously we know where that was destined for them but somebody must have come along but they were heard their cries were heard and the charity was called so they most of them got rehomed but Peanut was so small that they they didn't want to rehome her um, they wanted to keep her for a while to build her up so we brought Bonnie up to Wendy's place one day and there was a good few dogs going around but her, her seven peanuts were just drawn to each other and I think it was because Peanut was so small Bonnie was delighted that she was bigger than something <laughs> so Peanut came uh, came. Uh, Bonnie was being neutered that week Peanut came the week after and the two of them I had their beds beside each other the first day we got Peanut which was beside my bed and sure Peanut half an hour in Peanut got out of the bed and hopped in with Bonnie and the two of them are the oh. best of friends since. Oh, and then what happened was Peanut is, is very intelligent and she's wants attention and games and usually in the evening time and because she sleeps during the day. And we were saying, you know what? She, I was saying to my husband, she could do with a kitten or something, you know, her own dog. So this little dog, Baby, was found roaming the roads. She'd no microchip. She was emaciated. So the charity took her in and one of the volunteers of the charity, God love her, she was in um, hospice she was yeah, she had cancer and uh, she she was dying from it so they used to bring baby in uh, every day to her uh, because she loved animals and so baby'd be up on the bed with her so the staff in the hospice started calling her baby Roisin so Roisin passed away god love her and they wanted a home for baby so we were above one day collecting the two girls from the kennels and Wendy brought her out and she said do you know anyone who could give, give this little girl a home so I took the two out of the car and the three of them had a game of chase and I said Wendy I think this could be brilliant for Peanut so baby moved in with us and then my husband said now Susan that's enough <laughs> that's it because anymore and I'm moving out <laughs> but he, she she's she's actually Barry's girl and he has a story in the book about her because I think the other two were so attached to me she saw an opening there with him so she's his girl and she knows it Yes, absolutely. And it's wonderful that they all do have their own place, you can see. And even when I came in and they were looking for attention, straight away you can see the different personalities, like baby just pushing to the fore and Bonnie yeah. was being so nice, but like not causing trouble, but at the same time kind of going, can I have a bit of attention too? Yeah, and, yeah. She she's a leader and she's very diplomatic and people can't believe it, but nobody, none of the two will give out to Bonnie. Yeah. None of them will. If she goes to her bowl and if, say, this one was eating, she'll move away and she'll let Bonnie eat. But baby will boss Peanut and yeah, vice versa. And that neither and Peanut won't boss Bonnie either. So she has some sort of aura about her and it just goes to show you don't have to be a bully. And she's so gorgeous. It's hard to believe that she was ever in such a state. I mean, she's so silky now. And, and, and you know, it's one of the things that um, I use gold paint when I paint animals' eyes, especially the brown eyes, you know. Okay. And I think that's one of the things that make the painting stand out. But it was because I was staring into her eyes one day, you know, telling her how much I love her, which I do on a regular basis, to the three of them. And I actually saw flecks of gold. And they do, if you look at the animals with the the brown eyes and you look into them there is like little flecks of gold it's, be it's beautiful 
I love, I always want to pet your paintings. <laughs> your, oh. I don't know how you do the fur, but I always want to like, oh, I feel like it's always a surprise for me. I'm like, oh, it's paper. <laughs> it's weird. When I start painting, I'd always do their eyes first and then their nose and their mouth. You know, well, the background would be done first. And, and actually, sometimes I would even do the nose and the mouth or, or the eyes because once you've that there, you have a character. Suddenly you're connecting with the character. Yeah. And I'd always ask people for, tell me a little bit about the personality, because that's in my head when I'm painting okay. as well. Yes. And I, it definitely helps, I think. I came home with a copy of Susan's book, and I have it propped up on the kitchen counter. And every day I open it to a different portrait. In one of the science excerpts, Susan mentions a study where they found that gazing behaviour from dogs increased oxytocin levels in their owners. I would really wonder if the same effect is gained from looking at paintings of dogs who are looking back at you. These paintings give me great feelings of warmth and contentment and even happiness. And I think they'd be ideal for settings such as nursing homes, schools or hospitals, anywhere that people could do with lift. Anyway, if you would like a hit of feel-good hormones, you can get a copy of the book at thehumanrescuers.com. My thanks to Susan Mills for a very enjoyable day, and to Bonnie, Peanut and Baby, who are on sound effects. And thank you for listening. That's it for now. See you next time. Mm-hmm.